And now, an Arizona PBS original production. Books and Company is made possible by the Department of English at Arizona State University and by the Friends of Arizona PBS, members of Arizona PBS who give additional gifts to support original programs. Thank you. Welcome to Books and Company. Bienvenidos todos. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We're joined today by Kelly DeVos, who's talking about her first novel, Fat Girl on a Plane, published by Harlequin Teen. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So let's just start with that title. In these woke times, as, as the young ones are, are, uh, are, are saying, where we're concerned with all sorts of... Uh, difficult language, and body image is a huge part of that. Can we say the word fat? Oh yeah, definitely. I think fat people are reclaiming that word and just using it as purely a descriptive term and trying to free it from its pejorative uses and just to say, you know, I am fat and that doesn't diminish my dignity as a human mm -hmm. being and here I am and and that's it. Mm -hmm. So the title, that was actually the original title of the book that I came up with when I was writing it. And part of the inspiration was that planes are this intersection of where people like fat phobia really gets revealed very quickly. Planes are very cramped to their very stressful. Traveling is difficult. And so you're really in this, you know, as a fat person, you're in this already high stress situation. And I want to kind of, I wanted to come into the book with that mm -hmm. and just like start the reader right off with, this is what it's like to be a fat person today. It's, you know, you're coming into the situation already feeling under a lot of stress. And you, you're clearly talking, certainly in the book and in the title, and it's in the picture, the, the, the des you are a graphic designer, so you'll appreciate this. You've got the picture of the airplane, but you used plane, and that's a great double entendre. Yeah. Because it's, it's talking about this as a level of societal placement. Where, where do we put somebody who, who, who you know, is heavier? And, and what are the experiences that, that we get around that along with the person who's right in the middle of this. Yeah, that's definitely something that I wanted to talk a lot about in the book. I mean, I think that we're, we as Americans are still a culture um, that's riddled with a lot of fat phobia and a lot of stereotypes about both how people become fat, how, why they stay fat, and how they should be treated once they are fat. So I wanted to talk a lot about that in the book, and hopefully I did. Mm -hmm. you, you braid this with, you have a, a, a recurring section that says fat and a recurring section that says skinny. And they, they form this, this braid throughout the book. And it's two parts of this main character, Cookie, uh, her life. Actually, first, maybe you could give us a little synopsis of the book, perhaps. Yeah, so the book we'll follows um, a teen fashion student, Cookie Vaughn, who wants to become the next great fashion designer, but she feels that she's going to have to lose weight in order to do it. So it follows her across two timelines, before and after a major weight loss that she falsely believes will solve all her problems. 
And where the inspiration came from was, like my character in the book, I had a really humiliating experience of being forced to buy two seats on a plane. You yourself? Yes, yeah, that's where I got the idea for the book. I was on a business trip to Salt Lake City. I was at Sky Harbor International Airport, and just like it starts out in the, the first chapter of Fat Girl on a Plane, I was approached by the flight attendant and told that I was gonna need to buy a second seat. And it was humiliating, wow. and it was very, like I spent like a couple hours hours waiting for the plane in a very panicked state because I didn't even know if they had a seat, what it was going to cost, how I was going to pay for it, and what was going to happen on the return leg when I got home because I didn't know if they would have, you know, be able to accommodate me either. So when I got back from the trip, I started kind of Googling, you know, how does this happen? What, why does it happen? And I got on all these online forums and I saw people, you know, fat people who are, who were kind of asking these questions of like, how is it okay to treat people? like this you know it's just there's just no basic human dignity in treating someone like this and then there were average or thin people who were saying well why can't you just lose weight and so that was the genesis of the idea for the book I wanted to have a book that spoke to those two things of what it was like to live like life as a fat person and also the challenges involved in that question of why can't you just lose weight mm -hmm. and the answer of course is that it's really really hard and you know for some people potentially impossible and you do it through so this, this dual life of this one person. I mean, she's she's experienced life with both uh, body both body types. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about how differently society treats people, you know, who are thin versus fat. I think we live in a society that loves the Cinderella weight loss story, that loves the before and after, that, you know, that loves the the dieting success story. Well, mm -hmm. what does it feel like internally to be that person? And so I wanted to examine that narrative. Which you do, and it, it's often heartbreaking, sometimes funny, and, and what's even more intriguing to me in, in many ways, this is a young adult novel. So you're talking to a, a generation that's up and coming. They don't necessarily have these uh, preconceived notions or these uh, you know, affectations or, or beliefs but maybe they do, maybe they're getting them. I think teenagers have internalized a lot of that. I mean, most teenagers are aware that, you know, a size six actress is considered a fat, fat actress. Um, so I think that there, most people have, most people by the time that they're like 13 or 14, particularly girls, have, have already become aware that this is a culture that shames people, that society doesn't like their body size. And for me, when I was a young person, I spent a lot of years of feeling really bad about myself, of feeling like I couldn't make my dreams come true, or I wasn't capable of advocating for myself. And I really wanted to write a book for young people that hopefully bridge some of that experience so experiences so that they didn't have to take as long as I had to take to figure these kinds of things out. You certainly don't do this in any preachy sort of way or any essayistic sort of way. It's a dramatic story. And, and in doing that, all sorts of things start to happen, starting with the character's name, by the way, which even she struggles with. Was that a cruel act on somebody's part or was it a fun, you know, light, you know, airy, breezy kind of, we're gonna call her Cookie. No, I wanted to signal right from birth that this was somebody that had a lot of conflict with weight issues in her life and specifically with her mother. Her mother gave her this name. It became like this kind of joking, self-fulfilling prophecy, this this thing that she hated. And I wanted right out of the gate to just hint that here's this character that has been for all of her life struggling with these issues. Wow. So 
you have other characters along with the mother, and they're they're kind of uh, wonderful mitigating characters. I think I think of the grandma, for example. She's sort of the Greek chorus of the book in the background. She's kind of saying, "Cookie, don't overreact. Cookie, you know, calm down." Yeah, I try not to base a lot of my characters on real life people, but that character was my grandma. Like that. She's, she's so real in <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. So that was like what my grandma was like growing up. And in fact, she had the dog that she would, <laughs> she, it was actually named Roscoe. She had the dog and she would feed it a ham sandwich every day for its lunch. Like she would make <laughs> it a ham sandwich, cut it up like into little squares. Like a little person. Yeah, on a yeah. porcelain plate. And then like the dog would just like scoop it up really fast and it's mouth and she'd get so mad she'd be like how can that dog I put it on a nice plate you know and we're kind of like well it's a dog and probably doesn't need a sandwich but anyway yeah that was my grandma you have another curious character father Tim yeah who you there's a weight loss camp that is a big part of the at least first part of the book and that weight loss camp you know a lot of people are you come together there and, and a lot of things happen um, is, I know there are such things. I don't know if you've ever experienced that yourself personally, but that experience of going to a camp like that where everybody's there to, to presumptively lose weight because that's a good thing. Yeah. That's got to be a kind of a difficult situation to enter. Yeah, I think it's a difficult situation. I mean, I, I, I had done a lot of research on these kinds of camps and my character in the book is 17, so I tried yeah. to kind of stay accurate to the camps that were from mm -hmm. the time that, you know, that she was. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, a little bit more nuance to some of these places now, like some of them are more wellness focused and a little bit more body positive mm -hmm. you know, oriented that way. I sure hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think that there are a lot of places where people who feel like their children are imperfect are kind of looking for like a solution to that problem and that is where they take them. So that was kind of what that fat camp was supposed to represent in the book. It was, mm. you know, like people who wanted children more as an accessory and they didn't mm. really like the ones that they had and so this is what they were doing about it. Whatever we might feel about that as, as a, you know, the, our initial reaction to it, a lot of good came out of it though in this story. Yeah, well, in, t in terms of the fact that like there's some friendship, yes. develops, which I yeah. think is true in camps in general, which is why I left it in mm. there. Like I think a lot of people meet at camp, like the purpose of the camp wasn't good. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was uh, like geared around towards unhealthy weight loss and the way that the camp itself was being managed wasn't great. But I always think that, you know, there's always an opportunity for people to meet each other. So I wanted to show that and, you know, give them some friends. And I thought that was a fun aspect of the book. Mm. There, there were uh, uh, a lot of uh, wonderful characters who were very helpful to, to Cookie. Yeah. And I think those are important. We'll get to them in just a moment. But there, were, there was one character, Kenneth Butterfield, yeah, Kenneth. the nemesis of Cookie. And uh, it's not that it's funny. I mean, it was, there were was so many acts of, of both big and small cruelty that, that very real. They seemed like they certainly could have happened and... Uh, oh, they just drive you crazy as a reader. You're, you're, you're reading that and you're going, how can anybody do that? And then you also realize nobody else saw it and it's just the interaction of these two people. And how did you come up with that dynamic? Honestly, like a lot of that stuff, sadly, I was able to just take from my own life. You know, okay. not the, I had never really had an antagonistic type person like Kenneth in my own life, but it was probably like several different people who, 
who were behaving that way and so I adapted some of the situations that I was in to some of the things that happened to the character in the book and I think a lot of that stuff is pretty common like in terms of just people making comments or um, you know mistreating people because mm. of their size so I don't think my experience was unique in that respect. Mm. Difficult to read regardless you know unique uh, common whatever it's difficult and and it it sets us on a kind of edge as we read a lot of the book, where that the, the incident you've described about the plane, which is at the center of, of the book, is, is so hard to get through. And, and so that we can only project what it must be for somebody having to get through that. Yeah, it's really hard to get through, and it's such a random experience because for whatever reason that I can't quite understand, society doesn't appear to be able to get a grip on standardized ways of handling these yeah. situations. It seems to be the call of the person standing behind that desk. It really is, and in my particular case, it got even stranger because once I actually had to buy the second seat on the plane, the flight was actually full, and they wound up sitting someone next to me anyway. So I got on the plane. I, I I sat next to someone on the plane that worked out okay and then when I got off they immediately refunded my money but it was like wow this feels like a lot of drama and a lot of upheaval for really nothing but well, a pure simple humiliation of that yeah it's hard to live with I'd like to stop for just a moment and remind our viewers you're watching books and company I'm your host Alberto Rios we're joined today by Kelly DeVos talking about her first young adult novel fat girl on a plane so as we, as we, we should probably say, you are a graduate of ASU, you're a, a resident of the Phoenix metropolitan area, and so That's a lot ASU. of, ASU, a lot of, a lot of what we read in here is very familiar territory. You name a lot of, you name the high schools and different places that we might uh, travel to or, or and, and that's a lot of fun if you're, it doesn't matter where you're from, if you start to read things that are familiar, mm -hmm. Uh, something is exciting inside of you. I know that place, I know that place. Yeah. yeah, well, as you and I were speaking before we started taping, I was originally a dropout in the 90s of ASU's creative writing program, and I never really felt like I was complete, and I felt like I had stories inside of me, and so I made the decision a few years ago to go back to school and rejoin the creative writing program. So I was actually writing this book while I was at school at ASU, <laughs> so it was I used a lot of like the locations where I happened to be as you know <laughs> locations for the things that happened in the book, like where I liked to go and write or places where I happened to have classes that those are locations in the book. And they're very funny. I mean, if you're, fr if you're from there or if you have tried to negotiate the ASU campus or any university campus, I mean, it, it's just a little bit mind boggling and and uh, to to have names attached to that yeah Bateman Center for example and so on the different places just it was it was very funny yeah. and I, I don't know what as writers uh, I, th I think as writers we of course have to place a story somewhere mm -hmm. and of course why not make it right in the middle of what we know you juxtapose that however with so I, I wouldn't call Phoenix small town, but if you're thinking about Tempe and Mesa, Gilbert, those you know, East Valley, mm -hmm. small town versus New York City, yes, <laughs> which is where the other part of this story happens. And what what made you have that sort of fat girl, skinny girl uh, uh, juxtaposition, and then you've got this small town 
big city juxtaposition as well. Yeah, I think because I wanted to have a character that had really created almost a fantasy life for herself. Like, my life will be perfect when I'm yeah. thin and I'm in New York and I'm in this famous school. Mm -hmm. And she had never really stopped to think about whether those are the things she actually wanted, whether those were the things that were in her best interest. And I think that this is what a lot of young people go through. They have ideas about where they might want to go to college. They have ideas about their future life. But a lot of times the ideas aren't based on their mm. value judgments about what they really like or what you know what kind of lifestyle yeah. they might like to have. And so I think the process of becoming an adult is navigating that, mm. the kind of youthful dreams that you have versus what the kind of adult you find you really want to be. So my character is somebody who starts out thinking that her best life is going to be in New York and kind of and realizes that she likes her hometown mm. and she's happy to be there. It's a quintessential young adult dilemma, isn't it? Asking somebody to make one of the biggest decisions of their life. Yeah. What do I want to be? Where do I want to go? At the time when they're least equipped uh, to do that. Yeah, and you don't have so much information about what is going to happen. So she, she sort of falls under the care, shall we say, of a Bengali-like character, Gareth, yeah. who is a top fashion designer, uh, in New York. Incidentally, you mentioned a name. When I was walking in New York many years ago, I saw on a, on a, on a storefront, Hermenegildo, whatever his name is. Mm -hmm. What is, what is, I can't remember his, he's got a long name. Hermenegildo Segna. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I always thought, man, that's got to be like the coolest name in the world. He's like, you know, he designed that name. Yes. Well, so, I, so it's not hard to see excitement. And she falls prey to that. I mean, it's, it's right up her alley. It's about design. She's a designer. He says, you're a great designer. And he gives her this opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. Is that, is that a young adult fantasy? Is that something you think no, could I happen? No, I don't is think it? that is a young adult fantasy per se, although I do think that there are some young adults who get involved in relationships with yeah. older partners. And... As a matter of fact, this is funny, when I was writing the book, I was in creative writing class one day and there was a much younger student sitting next to me, probably, you know, maybe 21, 22, and she was giving this impassioned speech about this relationship she was in with an older man. Hmm. Just, you know, talking, just defending it and just talking about how, you know, love is love is love. And, and I said, so, you know, I'm like old and cranky and I said something like, you can't even understand yourself what the problems with this are, or like at the age where you are and at the age where this person is. But in the book, I think sometimes to young people, you have to show them what not to do, you know, and a lot of these in real life, you do have scenarios like where there are very young people in fashion and film and they're dating much older people like Demi Lovato, who was 17 and dating 32 year old actor Wilmer Valderrama would be an example of that happening in real life. And I think some people without naming names. Yeah, sure. Without, <laughs> without getting into specifics. But I think that um, some people do some young people see that there's like a certain amount of glamour in yeah. in that kind of relationship and i wanted to talk about it and i felt like it was important because when you talk about fashion it has these twin obsessions one is body size and the other is youth and mm -hmm. so if you don't talk about how fashion is really obsessed with youth and almost kind of is a vampire of it and is like sucking, you know, emotionally sucking young people of, of their energy to kind of keep itself going. I felt like it wouldn't be a complete narrative. You, you know, that's a great description. I, you don't use that in the book, but that's a great description of 
oh, I don't, we don't want to give anything away, yeah. and we're not, but it's a great description of part of the story, of what happens mm -hmm. in this older man who's sort of lost his magic touch. Yeah. Uh, it's youth that comes to the rescue and in the form of Cookie. Yeah. And uh, of course he takes full advantage of that. Yeah, yeah, and it's supposed to be kind of an awkward relationship, you know. I mean, it, like I said, it's supposed to be kind of a, here's here's why you don't really want to do yeah. this. And 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 he uses that time-worn phrase, it's not personal. <laughs> Right, yeah. and she even says, "I hate that," <laughs> and we do too when we're reading it. We we just feel so betrayed, yeah. and, and as she does as well. You you have uh, and well, let's say Cookie has, but you as the author have some, I think, wonderful little insights that that maybe we go by a little too quickly about fashion, and oh, you yeah. you have this great one about sportswear is where fashion meets feminism. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. That, that, that was a very insightful. Um... I think it's a very undiscussed point that, you know, like my character, Cookie, her hero in the book is fashion designer Claire McCardell, mm -hmm. that I didn't know a lot about before I started researching the book, but she's actually considered one of the founders of American sportswear. Hmm. And what really motivated her was the notion of producing clothes for women to get out of the house. Like when you start coming uh, out of like the 1920s and even into the 1930s, the zipper wasn't in use a lot yet. Um, things, wow. Yeah, clothing was very persnickety. It had a lot of buttons, a lot of snaps. You couldn't go out of the house without your hat and your gloves. So when you wanted to leave the house, it was a big undertaking. Sportswear was about, for women, it was about creating clothes where they could get out and do things, that they could ride bicycles, they could go to the beach. Um, Claire McCardell was famous for making this thing called the popover dress, which was a wrap dress. It actually had a pocket for a pot holder. So like you could be in the kitchen <laughs> cooking, you could throw on your popover dress and you would get out and you could go see the neighbor, you know, in a couple of minutes you could be ready. And so it really was about getting women out of the house, getting women out of the kitchen. And so sportswear is, an, is that kind of an evolution. I really do do think it's a, f a feminist undertaking because if you can't if you can't do anything in your clothing yeah. how can you accomplish anything you know I mean and sportswear it's about reacting immediately doing something right. quick and, and moving fast moving and, fast yeah, yeah getting out there and and equating that to feminism in that very I think good well-reasoned argument in the book I mean just it, it's very insightful I think is a, a great idea about fashion well and I think plus-size fashion is the next evolution of that because that is about life leveling the playing field for everybody it's about saying that okay we've been out there creating comfortable clothing for some women for quite a while but now we're going to do it for all women we're going to you know try to we're going to give all women clothes that they can feel professional with or, or we're going to give all women clothes that they can exercise in so i feel plus size fashion is the next iteration of of feminism in fashion hmm. and we're seeing that yeah I, I think it's in the news even as we as we go forward but not very quickly yeah right it's a very slow progressing idea yeah right. you i'm, I'm going to go back now this fat girl on a plane the the central um incident. You, you have some further insights there as well. This is not about fashion, but it is about personal space. And you say something that is just, it, it, it is heartbreaking to the reader. It is insightful as well. And it's, I, I don't know that it's surprising, but I, I took it as a surprising thing. And I'm just going to read you the line. Uh, it said, when you're fat, you're very conscious of the area you occupy. 
of all the people in the universe, the overweight are the most conscious of personal space. We never want you to have to rub up against us. Yeah, well, I think that that's true. I mean, as particularly for women. I mean, and I think the experience on the plane is exactly like that. You know, mm -hmm. people do not really like to sit next to fat people on planes, but fat people aren't thrilled about it either. You know, I mean, definitely if they're, it's awkward for everyone. And I always see, and even myself personally, but I always see overweight people and you can tell they're scrunching over or they're trying to you know, make themselves fit as neatly as possible in the space that is assigned to them and they're trying not to use their armrest. And you know, that's a lot of what I do on a plane as well. And so I think you know, as much as the stereotype is that fat people are just like deliberately occupying a ton of extra space, I think most of the time the opposite is true. Hmm. Well, if I was a young adult person uh, facing something like this, I think reading a book like this and, and, and having it articulated like that, straight out in the open, I, I think, which feels very secretive. It's, it's, a, it's, it's not that that is a secret, but it feels very private. That's, a, that's a, a, an insight that comes from somewhere, you know, out of experience, but mm. it's not something you go around saying. I think that's a that's a very useful, interesting, engaging uh, revelation. Thank so you. I appreciate that. It, it, what I like about it too is it's in the middle of a story. It's not it's not just something you're you're trying to lecture us about. Yeah. Well, I, I think it has to be about the story in mm -hmm. the end. I mean, personal insights are important, but if you can't deliver a good story to the reader, probably all is lost. Mm. Well, out of after all of this, uh, maybe you can just tell us one quick thing about your writing approach. How do you write? What do you do? I try to write consistently. Like I try to write, you know, I don't say I write every day, but I do write as often as I can. I write at night. I have a lot of rituals. Like I have to be wearing the same socks. I have to have <laughs> my coffee. I have this big stack of writing books. And even if I don't use them, I have to like put them right on the table next to me. <laughs> so I guess that those are my little. Your rituals. Yes, my tricks and tips. And they work. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am glad that they work. I am glad that they helped you get to this book and finish it. I know you're working on others as well. I'm looking forward to them. Yeah, thank you. I want to thank you for joining us today. And I want to thank our viewers. You've been watching Books and Company. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We've been joined today by Kelly DeVos, talking about her wonderful book. It's a young adult uh, novel, Fat Girl on a Plane. Please join us again next time when we'll be bringing you another good book. Books and Company is made possible by the Department of English at Arizona State University and by the Friends of Arizona PBS, members of Arizona PBS who give additional gifts to support original programs. Thank you.